Welcome to Crashing the System. My name is Vex Humana, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Samantha Jacobs. Hello. And John Beecham. Episode 23. 23, folks. Crashing the System is recorded in Chicago's Albany Park neighborhood, home to one of the most diverse working class, and immigrant communities in the U.S. Produced by Answer Chicago and the Chicago branch of the Party for Socialism and Liberation, we here at Crashing the System bring you progressive movement news, views, and analysis from a fighting independent political perspective. This episode of Crashing the System is a special back-to-school, back-to-the-struggle episode, featuring public school teachers talking about the state of education and giving us the knowledge we need to keep building solidarity with the teachers' struggle for better wages, working conditions, and better schools for our children. But before we can crash the system, here's this week's news and views. Ooh, yes. News and views. News and views. All right, so on this week's news and view well really it's just news are, and view what are we talking about new and view uh we're talking about social media Ooh, yeah i know do we have to yeah we got it <laughs> i think we have to let's, let's, let's approach this with a little bit more optimism john <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about it I, I have seen an actual improvement oh yeah in people around the chicago branch of the party for socialism and liberation and their approach to social media kind of a more slightly more professional approach so i'm optimistic so not pessimistic (laughs) that's good so samantha why did we want to talk about social media this week so social media is a very important tool and so it's important to know how to best utilize that tool in a way that's going to be able to allow us to get our message out and communicate you know about events going on about things happening in our community um but the more negative way to handle that tool would be, you know, sort of debates and things that sometimes engage in. So in an effort to try and be as really helpful to our class as we can be, it's kind of our duty to, you know, utilize social media to the best of our ability. Right, right. Yeah, and we don't want to preach anybody. This is advice, not a prescription, a prescription or anything, however you say it. Um, But we just want to discuss this because, you know, we do believe that, uh, the types of debates and criticisms th- that happen on social media, on left media, is that what it's called? Or something like that? Left Twitter? It cannot always be that, not always be that helpful. I think if people really want to help the struggle that staying clear of those things, even if you're criticizing people for being critical, to be honest with you. Right. You know, because I don't really know what those debates are going to do in terms of helping the masses of people take on this system and make change or defeat it. I think the major ways that people become politically more mature uh, and in terms of like forwarding a political program and strategies and tactics is on the street, uh, one-to-one education and gaining experience with one another, going out and promoting political initiatives amongst the masses of people and giving the people the opportunity to be political. Like, I don't know if you go up to someone and say, hey, we're really gonna, uh, really gonna get the lead out of the pipes here in Chicago like we're trying to do. Right. By saying, hey, everybody go on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody go on Facebook. And if you, <laughs> if you go on Facebook and start debating about stuff, that's going to get the lead out of the pipes. So I know it yeah. sounds a little simplistic. Yeah, but, no, what John yeah. is mentioning, we, we have a lead out campaign here in Chicago and it's been 
incredibly invigorating to see the comrades out in the streets doing the work and, and interacting with people face to face. Um, yeah, it's a, it, it's it's a great learning experience for a lot of new comrades too. We also have the socialism summer classes in which you know we've had classes about um, ICE, right? About uh, the poli- the racist police force in Chicago, as well as uh, state and revolution, and just the looks on people's face, you know, that that kind of bright eyed smile, like when they understand something for the first time, when they learn something new, uh, it's incredibly invigorating. Yeah, and there has to be practical application to stuff. Like, how do you practically apply your opinion on Facebook right. by arguing with someone who has a different opinion? I mean, really, politics is about developing your understanding of the struggle and going out and trying to apply it to the struggle over time, like in reality. Um, and being patient about it, kind of being calm and confident about it, rolling with a crew, you know, being in an organization. Um, that's how you learn stuff, yeah. you know, like I don't, you're not going to learn stuff from people who have 15 or 20 years of experience in the struggle by criticizing them on Twitter right. or Facebook, right. you know, or debating with them. Well, that's, you know, it's fit, t- Facebook and Twitter, it's not a cadre building kind of apparatus really Yeah, in any capacity. Important tool. Important tool. I, I think it's an important tool and we don't want to in any way cramp anybody's style to sure. use a social media to be social or anything like that. We're just talking about for those who are political, like let's think about how we want to be political. What's the, what's like the correct use of Twitter or social media for political actors who want to change the world? Um, and tw- social media can be so be very negative, right? Um, it can be. Yeah. And at the bottom of everything, we want to be optimistic. We need to be optimistic. And optimistic doesn't mean like having your head in the clouds. It means doing and embodying the type of things that can empower others that can empower the masses of people against their oppressors samantha john you have any last comments you'd like to make before we wrap up here samantha yeah i mean it's if you think about it from the perspective of like you know people are presumably reading what you're writing on social media so if you think about like what you're posting from the perspective of like someone is reading this and maybe they want to get involved. So what would they want to see? You know, would they want to see sort of a snarky back and forth or would they want to see you, you know, doing something to actually contribute, getting out there, talking to people, you know, sharing important information. And I think if you think about it from that perspective, you know, it's not like you have to dial back who you are or what you're doing, but instead it's like, how can you like best share what you have to offer as an organizer? Yeah, and if you're being snarky and attracting other snarky people, I'm not sure how helpful that is necessarily. And then you then you have to think, right? You have to think in terms of the struggle, in terms of the people, um, what's going to help them if, say, people are trying to be malicious and derail the struggle or make people feel optimistic or lose hope, isn't the way they would do that would be neg- be negative and snarky and critical on social media. I mean, I don't really blame anybody. I, I, I grew up being very snarky, right? Yeah. I mean, we grew up in that kind of culture where we're, we're competing, right? But left book, it's left book, not left Twitter or whatever I said before, right? I mean, but left book, if it's going to be anything, it has to be that platform that empowers people and gives them confidence in others. I agree, John. And how to approach other people. Absolutely. I think that about wraps up this week's news and views. Thanks for playing. 
(laughs) (laughs) Our first guest on this episode of Crashing the System is Frank Lara. Frank is a public school teacher in San Francisco and actually an executive board member of the United Educators of San Francisco. Welcome, Frank. Thank you so much for having me on. It's our pleasure. Uh, You know, we're talking to a couple educators today, and I guess let's just start off with, can you just tell us a little bit about the situation in the the San Francisco public schools, uh, what your fellow teachers are talking about, including working conditions and other things, maybe if you all are talking about the, the nationwide teachers revolt, uh, anything like that, just, you know, just to start off the conversation. Well, thanks for highlighting, I think, the, the struggle of teachers, especially going back to school, I think uh, it's generally a tradition for educators to really, at this point, there's only a couple of weeks left over here on the West Coast to get back and get to class, and so folks are really thinking about it. Um, in terms of San Francisco, what probably you've seen in the recent headlines has been just enormous housing costs and how much it's affected all workers. But if other educators because they can't manage to live in the communities that they serve. And so this has been going on unfortunately for some time. It's been a very local issue given big companies like Twitter, Google, Facebook are really concentrated in and created an enormous amount of inequality. So for the last, I would say, six years, the union has really been focused on trying to raise the issue of of the housing crisis and how educators should be paid uh, a living wage in this inexpensive city. So for the last six years, the focus has been uh, getting a just contract. We, three years ago, won a contract for three years with a 15% rate, and just recently, the negotiations uh, back in uh, December of last year with another contract that gave us 7%, but on top of that, we were able to get a proposition, local proposition known as Prop G, which is a, a parcel tax that charges every parcel in San Francisco about $290. Um, we got it passed with a huge support community, which is going to give educators a 7% raise. Um, and it was also part of the negotiate work alongside the district with that. So in general, has been uh, the union has done really great work in, in making San Francisco uh, a livable place for educators. But obviously, we've also paid attention to some of the national uh, occurrences. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about San Francisco and the high what you said, the high cost of living there. I'm wondering also if um, if gentrification, if racism and gentrification has an effect on on your work or the school system like it does in a lot of other places, maybe more so there, I, I kind of would assume, but maybe I'm not right. Maybe I'm not correct on that. So addressing the issue of racism and gentrification in the public school system of San Francisco, I think you could see it reflected in other cities as well where there is a division in the cities between what you would consider more established neighborhoods and working class neighborhoods. We have that in San Francisco where the West Side schools are considered the more prominent schools, the the schools where more affluent families, stable families uh, go to, and the East Side schools are working class neighborhoods um, with a lot of, you know, low low income folks, 
who are struggling. And so their children then go into our public schools and many times have trauma induced by the inequities of capitalism. And so you have a lot of stresses on the east side schools. And where you could see as an educator some of the issues arise, arise is that because the school, uh, the city politics and the economy is geared towards tech industry to high level income uh, people, that those people then put in the children in these public schools and then demand or put, in, put too much weight on their own demands and take away from the resources that students, that low income working class students need. So right. it does create a tension and it, and it tends to go reflect also racially. Yeah, I'm just reflecting on what you've just said and I was thinking, and we've talked about this before on the, this podcast actually, how important teachers are in society and how many teachers there are, first of all, that teachers are intersecting with our children and really at the nexus of so many of the social problems we face. And if you also think about the fact that there's a new wave of labor struggle that is coming out of the schools led by teachers and parents and children in places where you at least expect it to happen in the quote-unquote uh, red states, you know, where it's harder to struggle. I mean, the, the struggles that have happened were illegal, quote-unquote illegal struggles, although constitutionally speaking, there's nothing illegal about withholding your labor. So put those things together is kind of why we wanted, it is why we wanted to do this episode because for a working class podcast like this to not be talking about teachers, to not be talking about the schools and the condition of the schools would, would be very, very odd. So I don't know, as a teacher and as a union teacher, I mean, maybe can you sort of re reflect on those things that I said, but just on the, the struggle of teachers and the struggle for education right now in the United States? You know, it's after the teacher strikes of um, what you consider the red states, West Virginia, Arizona, uh, Oklahoma, all these places, and what was coming out as an analysis, because California at the moment hasn't had a teacher strike. And so for a lot of us in the union work here, we were reflecting as to why that wasn't the case. And what we started hearing at the conventions, at the union conventions, the national ones, as to the conditions of educators in West Virginia and these other red states, you could see why it was such a massive struggle and why so many people came out. For example, one of the West Virginia educators was saying they hadn't received an uh, increase in their wages since 1991. And if you wow. think about what, yeah, what you think about that means for a whole community to be like not even anything in relation to inflation, the crisis, no raise at all since that time, you have a, a, the opposite case, California, a very strong union state, a union state, uh, I think it's above the average, I think 18% of workers are unionized compared to the whole country, which is 11%, I believe. And... For even if it's modest, many of the unions have been able to win at least some race. It's not, a, it's not obviously, uh, the capitalism, you know, you, you really point to the inequity and the amount of profit that California brings in being the wealthiest state. But still, that causes a real big 
difference in consciousness. And so in California, you have people getting involved in the unions, and we're doing our struggle, but it's different um, than I would say the mass movements that emerge from the strikes in these red states, because the conditions are so much worse. Right. And, right. you know, so, so I think that's just something important to note, that the unions are important in all the cases to really push the struggle forward and mm-hmm. take what's happening in the classroom the, the, the tormenting of the kids because of lack of economic opportunities for their families, the trauma, the lack of resources, and take that and give it really uh, a, a, a politic that we can then take to the street. Well, Frank, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience with us. Uh, we're just about out of time, but can you close us out with any final thoughts or comments? Yeah, I think all educators are really gearing up, right, to serve their kids, to serve their families. And it's extremely important that we also realize that as union members in the, in the era of Janus, where private companies are trying to remove the importance of the union, that we see just the power that unions have had historically and we gear up for another year of struggle. That's Absolutely. right. Struggle. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Frank. Thank you. And now a word about our producing organizations. Crashing the System is produced by Answer Chicago and the Chicago branch of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Answer Chicago is the local chapter of a national organization, Act Now to Stop War and End Racism, that's dedicated to building a nationwide, independent, fighting mass movement for real change. You can follow Answer Chicago on Facebook and Twitter, or check out the website at answerchicago.org. The Party for Socialism and Liberation believes that socialism... The collective ownership of society's wealth and rational economic planning is the solution to the environmental crisis, endless war, racism, and all of the evils of capitalism and class society. We believe that in order to achieve socialism, a society of equality and plenty, we must have a revolution. The old order of competition, alienation, and oppression must be replaced by a new world of cooperation, sharing, and real equality. We have branches all over the United States and many friends around the world. We are building a party of revolutionaries to help make the people's dreams of peace and prosperity a reality. We hope you join us, either as a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation or as a friend in the struggle. You can follow PSL Chicago on Facebook and Twitter or our website at pslweb.org. Now, we have the pleasure of speaking with David Feldman, who is an activist with the United Teachers of Los Angeles Union and a public school teacher in L.A. Thanks for joining us, David. Uh, Thank you for having me. David, we understand that your union, the United Teachers of Los Angeles, may go on strike. Can you fill us in? Yes. um, Currently, uh, we're going on strike uh, for for a number of reasons. One, uh, because of uh, the, the... bad working conditions. It's not an, it's not assured that we'll go on strike, but, uh, but there is, uh, there is a lot of talk that we will, um, even maybe as early as October, uh, due to working conditions, due to our low pay, uh, the cost of living in Los Angeles continues to go up, yet our salaries have remained stagnant for a number of years. I think, uh, the, the cost of living went up uh, about 27%, yet uh, we, we received, uh, our, our pay has not uh, kept up with, with, that, with that standard. Um, so um, also our working conditions, we have some of the highest uh, class sizes in the country, 
uh, no librarians, uh, you know, uh, schools are only given a nurse maybe once a week um, out of, out of the, the year. The rest of it has to come out of school funds. Um, also, the onslaught of charter schools. Um, the charter schools have, uh, they have targeted Los Angeles, specifically Los Angeles Unified School District, um, as a place where they really want to charter uh, the country, they want to privatize the district. So in, the, in this kind of environment, um, the law, so the, the teachers are, are, are the union is, is uh, talking about going on strike and it's, uh, we're actually going to have a strike vote a week after we come back from school and uh, they are telling people to start saving up ch our, our paychecks and uh, saving, putting money away. A strike could come as early as October. Well, can you say, can, can you specifically speak to the class size issue? I'm a teacher myself and the class size thing is always, I mean, I'm a college teacher, I'm an adjunct. But the class size thing is always something that I think people should know about. And the other thing you said as well, I, the reason why we want to do this podcast is because teachers are just at the intersection of so much in our society and are so important to any society. But people don't fully realize what teachers go through because of just the amazing amount of propaganda that this society throws at everybody about like how much money teachers make and they get the summer off and they really don't do their jobs, that type of thing, and they're all liberal crazies and stuff. So I don't know. Maybe can you get down into more of the specifics of what you were talking about? I'd be interested to hear it. I, well, in, in L.A., for instance, uh, classes are, are uh, class sizes about 40, 50 students is, is not out of the ordinary. What? Um, Whoa. <laughs> what, grade yeah. are you what grade are you talking about, yeah. 40, 50 students? Well, this is, this is high school. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, any age. My my right. son is going to start going to kindergarten, and they have 25 kids in his class. And I was like, wow, 25 kindergartners, yeah. one teacher? But you're talking 40 or 50 high school students for, like, one teacher? It, it's a desperate I'm, like, speechless. It's going to be a you yikes know, for me, dog. We're often having to borrow desks from each other. I know my next door neighbor, I come in. If, if all my kids show up for a class, I'm usually short a few desks. And so I have to knock on her door and I say, hey, you know, do you have any extra desks? Do you need to and, use uh, like a sound system? Uh, a I mean, sound system? I'm being kind of uh, facetious, no. but I mean, that's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it is a lot of, it's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids, and you know we're we're uh, we're we're under a lot of pressure to to serve these kids. Um, you know, as the district says, get them college and career ready. Um, but yet, yes, we are we're under conditions that uh, make it very very difficult to to teach um, and to really serve the kids uh, as much as as they they say that they want us to. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's. It's just a really bad situation, and, and the school districts uh, came out with a report recently, and they're actually talking about saying teachers are overpaid, which is ridiculous, and they're talking about even raising class sizes wow. uh, right now. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's even in special uh, education, they're talking about raising class sizes, um, you know, ra raising class sizes in elementary school. And, and then in in uh, in high school, yes, it's 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 
Um, there's actually a provision in the contract where we're supposed to have low class sizes, but the, the district gets around it all the time. Um, so it, it is uh, it, it is very difficult conditions and, and we, you know, very, I think our counselor ratio I, I, in LAUSD is, is one of the worst in the country, me too. The, I mean, you know, here in high school, students are supposed to have access to counselors so that they can, you know, get the right classes to go on to college, but, uh, but counselors are taking on hundreds, hundreds of kids at a time. I mean, you know. 700, 800 kids. It's yeah. not. It's not. Uh, it's not out of the ordinary for a school of a couple thousand. A lot of schools just have about two counselors to handle all those kids. You know, it's just no way to treat children and teachers. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else more there is to to say about that. Um, and especially if you're in a in a poor neighborhood, and there's lots of poor neighborhoods in the United States that rely on the public school education for so much beyond even just education. Um, it's really, it's like a manufactured crisis that's just an attack on working and, and poor people. One is led to think, actually, that the society is trying to m- make a situation where some kids just eventually here won't get to go to school. Because it's almost like it's not even school as it is. Do you know what I mean? I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it sounds I think dire, very, but it looks like the situation's pretty dire to me. Oh, the, the situation's completely dire, and I mean, I you know, I'm talking about Los Angeles, but I think you see, as in what we call many so-called red states, obviously those teachers have uh, gone against sometimes their union leadership, and they've organized themselves on social media, and and they're they're organizing themselves because these kind of dire and uh, situation environment, which I'm describing, is not uncommon in the United States. In fact, it's it's just the reality for public schools. You know, in fact, LAUSD just uh, hired a superintendent. The superintendent is has no experience in education. He's actually an investment banker, uh, and he's an investment banker. I believe he's he's even a billionaire or something like that. Uh, kind of a devote school, and his whole uh, history was of breaking down corporations, laying off workers, um, and so the the feeling is is that LAUSD right. under there's a local billionaire named Eli Brode, and his plan was to turn half of LAUSD schools, Los Angeles Unified School District schools, into charter schools. So if you put it all together, the billionaires have right. an interest. They want to break down the school district. They want to break it down like a corporation. They want to sell off these schools. And so they don't have an, they, they have an interest in creating a crisis, like you right, said. Right. And, and I think that's kind of the backdrop of our strike, too, is that we're really fighting for the survival of these schools, of, of public schools in L.A. It's not just about raises which, you know, we don't, we need raises uh, and we need better working conditions, but it's even right. about making schools sure that the, these public schools even survive because we're, we're fighting, we're fighting the billionaires. We're taking the whole system on. That's, that's really yeah. what it is. I don't know if most of the teachers see it that way yet, but, that, but that's really what's going on. Yeah, I think that's, 
I think, David, that's really super important to point out. Uh, The billionaires definitely have the public school system in their sight for many reasons that that kind of are you know run in run towards each other into each other you know from just you know having so many people going to school as children being able to sell them you know the same textbooks or you know computers or stuff like that or being able to make money off of the charter schools but i think it's actually more than that in a way if you not in a way i think in a very specific way if you take a billionaire like bill gates who spends a lot of energy trying to make sure that all the public schools are testing the students the way that he wants them to test so that they'll either become future Microsoft employees or they'll just, you know, be sort of shed aside into the service economy. I mean, I really think that strategically is where Bill Gates is at, where where people like the, the owners of McDonald's and Walmart are at, why they spend so much money on charter schools and are so concerned about the public schools. But the thing that's just you can just tell why it's complete hypocrisy is because Bill Gates doesn't send his children to those, didn't send his children to those types of schools. In fact, Bill Gates sent his children to the same private school in Seattle that he went to, the most expensive private school in Seattle, where Bill Gates didn't have to take any of those tests. His 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 kids didn't have to take any of those tests. And in fact, Bill Gates spent most of his time in junior high and high school playing around in 1967 with an IBM mainframe that his mother's friend who was the CEO of IBM donated to the school, you know? So uh, people should know this story because it runs contrary to what people are telling you. Like the billionaires don't care about children or the schools. And when you look at it like that, it's a war. I mean, I think you're right to say it's a war. But you know, I'm getting oh, it, a, I'm getting the signal, David. Why don't you take us out with a response to that question because we are out of time. And then, if there's anything that we can do to uh, be in solidarity with the strike, or for people to find out more information about the struggle of teachers in Los Angeles, why don't you give us that information too? Okay. Well, I I think um, you know, first of all, I I think. We, we, we really did with the teachers in Chicago, uh, teachers all around the country are, are really facing these conditions. And uh, the, the statement is really true. You, you see it with the tests, uh, the preparation of, that they want to bring the kids is, is that they, they want to create the kids, make them good little workers, make them obedient. Um, one, one, that's why one demand we're, we're trying to have is as a union is we're trying to lessen uh, standardized testing, uh, so that we can bring creativity back to, to, uh, to, to our work. And, and also, you know, to organize, you know, the kids and to really, to really empower them. And so when we, uh, when we're going to be marching and we're going to be leading towards this strike, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of corporate propaganda against us. But really what we're doing is we're fighting, you know, the teachers are fighting for the kids. We're fighting for public school. Um, we're fighting for better working conditions. We're fighting for the survival of, of public education. And that's ultimately yep. what this is about. And, you know, workers and oppressed people will be with you. The, workers, the reason why the teachers won in those red states that just happened is because the people were with them. You know what I mean? And we were here in Chicago with that teacher strike. The reason why the teachers won overwhelmingly is because everybody figured out once a strike happened that, oh, all the parents and kids are with them. 
You know what I mean? It was the entire, are, it was the entire city united around their teachers. It was beautiful, actually. It was really beautiful to witness it, to be a part of it, and to see that victory. Oh yes, and and we're we're going to really uh, we're going to really ask for for solidarity actions for you know parents to participate and and really community really drive the community into our actions and uh, and uh, you know we took solidarity actions and in, in support of of Chicago and support of all these teachers in the red states really fighting back because it, it really is it really is one struggle right now. It, you know, we, we need to really build this movement and continue building this movement for public education because it's public education in this country, um, if we don't fight for it, it, it can go away. But, but we're going to continue to organize and continue to fight. That's right. We're going to continue to organize. Thanks for coming on the show, David. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode. Make sure to spread the word. Share, tweet, or subscribe to us on Patreon. Catch our podcast every week on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spreaker, and Stitcher. Mm. Join. Yes, yes, yes. Spread the word. No, seriously, yes. spread the spread word. the dang word, folks. Yes. If you if you came all the way through this podcast, if you're listening to the end, please spread the word. Please. Thank you. Join Answer Chicago and the Party for Socialism and Liberation. But even more than that, join the real resistance to this racist, billionaire-dominated system that would rather fund endless imperialist wars than feed the poor. Thanks for joining Crashing the System. My name is Samantha Jacobs. Vex, John, and myself may be done with this episode, but we are in no way done organizing to crash the system and build a better world from its ashes. Take care. See ya. Never done crashing the system.